Thank you, Wilson. It's really good to be with you this morning, and um, it has been fun for me to to get to know Wilson over these last three years, uh, being in the same area, and uh, there's a lot of things I like about Wilson, um, but one of the things that I think I like the most is he's a complete book nerd, like just complete and other book nerd, and you may, or n- you may not know that about him, because um, he likes to talk about his friends, Tom and Bill, from his pastime playing football in the NFL. Um, <laughs> But God has gifted him with amazing athletic ability, and he's a book nerd. And it's like those two things don't always go together, and so it's amazing. Um, But in all seriousness, uh, Wilson loves God, and he loves his word. And he is going to bring God's word to bear upon this congregation, and I am so thankful. And know the Lord uh, will bless that. And as he said, I'm, I'm the campus minister at the University of Arkansas. I've been there three years. Uh, The Lord has blessed our ministry with conversions, with people growing in their faith, with all sorts of things. And appreciate y'all's prayer for that. Um, But this morning, uh, we're in Matthew 7, and we're going to talk about the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has just laid out this kingdom ethic for his people, where he's called his people to live a certain way. And we get to see his words around that. And I think it's a perfect passage as we think about the sufficiency of Scripture, um, because Jesus calls us to bank our lives on what he said, and anything else is just not going to work. Uh, so with that, let me, let me read our passage, and it's coming from Matthew 7. I'm going to read verses 24 uh, through, through 29. Jesus says this at the end of the sermon. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this morning. And we especially thank you for your word uh, that we have before us now. Words that are beautiful and good and you promise will never fade away. And words that you promise will bring life. And so we pray for that this morning. That we will see them as beautiful and good. And that we would also see them as life-giving and receive life through them. We thank you that you are the word made flesh. That all of this book points directly at you, and it is sufficient. And all of faith and godliness, and all spiritual things, it is sufficient. May we believe that, may we know it, may we bind it to our hearts. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, I like pizza, and 
I've been to Stillwater one time, and the first meal I had in Stillwater was at Hideaway Pizza. It's a great pizza spot. Um, but growing up, I loved pizza, and I loved all different types of pizza. I loved Papa John's, Pizza Hut's, Domino's, CeCe's. I used to go to CeCe's all the time. Even DiGiorno and Tombstone, these $4 pizzas. I used to eat that all the time. Uh, and there was a point where I was just like, all pizza's good. Pizza, pizza can't be bad. And obviously, as I've gotten older, that's not exactly true. I recognize not all pizza's good. Um, and what's funny about this story is there is a craft pizza place in my hometown called Ingleside Village Pizza. And it was my least favorite pizza growing up. So I liked all the others. I'd rather eat Tombstone than the Ingleside craft pizza. Uh, but when we moved to Fayetteville, which was three years ago, me and my wife, we went looking for pizza. We wanted to find a good pizza. We, t we t tested out a bunch of different places, and we started to settle in on Giraldi's, Giraldi's Italian Eatery. And we did that for a number of reasons. We like Italian food, and it's very good. Uh, we like pizza, and it's very good. Um, and they have gluten-free options, and my wife needs that. Uh, so anyways, we, we started eating pizza from Giraldi's. And we started giving it to our kids. We have a six-year-old named Lindley. We have a little over one and a half named Caleb. They like Giraldi's too. Um, but great, great pizza. It is very good. After a while of buying Giraldi's for our children, we were like, why don't we save some money? Let's save some money, and we'll get Giraldi's, and we'll buy something cheaper for our children. Um, <clears throat> and so... The night came where we decided we were going to get pizza, and our school, our, our neighbor is a school teacher, and she'd had pizza at her school that afternoon for a pizza party, and she'd brought some home, and she said we could have it. It's pizza from a place, I'm not going to tell you where it's from, um, but anyways, the night came where we have our Giraldi's, and we're serving our kids this other pizza, our one-and-a-half-year-old and our six-year-old, and both of them take one bite and eat nothing else. They will not eat any of the pizza. And I, I'm sitting there thinking, how in the world do they know this pizza is not as good as what they usually have? And it is because they've had Giraldi's over and over and over and over again. They've had the best over and over and over again, to the point where they're, when something is put in front of them that is not good, even though it looks the same, even though it feels the same, they know it is not as good, and they don't eat it. They've developed this appetite for the best. And in this passage, and throughout all of Scripture, Jesus is calling you to develop an appetite for what is best. And specifically in the realm of truth. Jesus calling us into loving His truth more than the truth of the world, and knowing that it is better and the best. The only way you can develop that appetite, though, is to go to it over and over and over and over again, to hear from it, to sit under it, to consume it, to chew on it, to know this is better. This is the best, so that when the world throws all its ideas at you, all the ideal ideologies of the world come at you, you can distinguish is this true? Is this actually true of who God is, who I am, what the world is? And as you chew on Jesus, your heart 
grows in love for Jesus. As you chew on his word, you can distinguish between what is true and what is not true. And the reality is, the less you feed on Jesus, the more the ways of the world, the truth of the world will seem better. And so my prayer for us this morning, my prayer for us, for this church going forward, as it thinks about the sufficiency of Scripture, as it sits on all these teachings, is to receive from Jesus and to know it is better and beautiful, more beautiful. Uh, so there's, there's two points this morning. We're going to talk about the voices we listen to, and we're going to talk about the foundations we build upon. Um, this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus looks at this crowd, <clears throat> this crowd who he's just taught about so many different things to, and the Sermon on the Mount would have been a sermon that Jesus probably preached very, very often from the different towns that he was going to. He would have preached something pretty similar. He's talking about the kingdom ethic. He's calling people to listen and follow him. And guess what? He's talking about more than salvation. He's talking about very practical, tangible ways of living in this world. And he says this. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Everyone who hears. He, he calls us to listen to him. He calls us to hear his voice. And it, I can't help but think about all the different voices that we have in our heads. All the different voices that we have on TV. In our favorite TV show, on our favorite news network, uh, the voices we hear about work, all proclaiming some sort of truth all proclaiming some sort of this is what reality is about. And Jesus, in the midst of all those voices, says, listen to my voice. Listen to my voice over other voices. Put mine first. Uh, the other day, I was in my kitchen, and I was with my one-and-a-half-year-old son, Caleb, who doesn't like bad pizza. Um, and he just started pointing at a drawer, saying, da, 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 da. And I was like, okay, I guess he, th he thinks there's something in that drawer that he wants. It's the, it's the top drawer. He can't see it. So I open up the drawer, and there's a couple of tops in there. It's kind of just like catch-all door, a drawer in our kitchen. And so there's, there's tops, there's utensils, there's all these random things. And I just grab a couple things out to him, out for him, and I give them to him. He's got them in both hands. He looks at them. I think he's going to play with them, and he just throws them down. Uh, so he keeps pointing at the drawer, and so this time I pick him up, pick him up so he can actually see what's in the drawer, and he goes for what I think he will. He goes for the same tops I just gave him, but they're different colors. There's an orange one, there's a black one. He picks them up. I think he's going to be content. I put them down, and immediately he just throws them down and goes da 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 da. And what I realized was this process was just going to keep continuing. Because um, Caleb was searching for something, something he thought he'd have fun playing with, something he thought would, you know, be enjoyable for the foreseeable future. And every time he grabbed something and touched it, it disappointed. He just threw it down. And I think when it comes to truth, when it comes to searching for things that we think will make us happy, that we think we'll enjoy, we're, we're like Caleb. We'll, we'll grab anything. 
we'll, we'll grab the next best thing. Whatever feels right in the moment, we'll grab it. And here's the thing about that. What are you searching for? What, what truth do you need? Because the reality is God has created you to need and know truth. He's created you to listen for truth. And you cannot eat pizza ever again, and it would be okay. And you will search desperately for truth every day the rest of your life. And you need the truth of God's word. And here's the thing. If you are constantly grabbing at whatever the next best truth is, well, the next best truth of the world is always changing. It's going to be something different in 10 years. And the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that tr the truth of his word stands forever. It stands forever. So he calls us to know and love his word and not be thrown around like the wind from all these different worldly doctrines. And what, what are those worldly doctrines? What are the things that the world is offering to you? that's saying you need this. Well, the reality is it's very similar to the things of God. Because we are all asking the question, who am I? Identity stuff. We're all asking, why am I here? What am I made for? Purpose. Do I feel a sense of purpose? Uh, we're all searching for the source of true joy something that's really going to make me happy. We're all searching for true peace. What is going to bring true peace? And guess what? The world has just as many options, more options actually, than the Bible does. And sometimes they look easier to grab hold of. Sometimes it looks like that will make me happy. And Jesus comes into the midst of all that and says, listen to my voice. Build your life upon my truth. That is where wisdom will come. That is where lasting change will come. That is where true rest and refuge will come. And so, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Uh, do, you, do you hear what he's saying? Because he goes on to say, if you don't build your house on the things that I've said, you're going to crash and burn. And so here, Jesus comes in with his authority that everyone in the crowd felt because they're like, this guy's teaching different than our scribes. There is some real authority going on. There's real power in his teaching. And I think for some of us, we're like, okay, here it is again. Here's the God who's always telling me to just listen to him, and I never feel like it works. When I try it out, doesn't seem to work. When I listen to his voice, when I try to put these things in practice, it doesn't seem to work. Do you feel that way sometimes? That, that Jesus is just the taskmaster? That Jesus is the one coming in from above saying, hey, perform for me, listen and obey. And if you do that, you're going to be fine. And if you don't do that, I'm going to crush you. And I know that is not the gospel that Wilson's been preaching, because that is not the gospel of grace. And yet there are moments for all of us where we feel like God is just dropping truth bombs from heaven, 
And we either have to take it and receive it, or he's done with us. He's going to leave us. There's a song that I've been listening to recently. It's uh, from St. Paul and the Broken Bones. St. Paul and the Broken Bones, anybody? It's okay. Um, <clears throat> Uh, but it's called, Is It Me? And this is what it says. It says, Jesus is stuck inside my TV screen, giving all the answers, but never holding me. Jesus proclaiming truth from the TV screen, but he's stuck there. He hasn't come out. He hasn't come to life. He hasn't come bringing the grace, bringing the compassion, bringing the care, bringing the intimate love that he seems to promise throughout Scripture, and yet I don't feel it. And if you read this passage, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, if you read the Bible from that lens, you are going to miss Jesus. You're going to miss the sufficiency and the goodness of all of it in your life. And the reality is that is not who Jesus is. Because the Sermon on the Mount is not a betterment project. It's not, hey, if you do these things, I'll love you. If you put all these things into practice, you'll be good to go. You'll be a better person. That's not what it is. It's Jesus calling his children to follow him and living out who he is in the world. Which is why sometimes it looks really hard. It is really hard. Uh, but there's, there's, you know... What's the Sermon on the Mount about? What is he talking about? He, he's talking about, it begins with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, the lowly. Blessed are those who are persecuted. He calls people to be salt and light. Um, and then he, he goes in and starts talking about your anger. When you hate someone in your heart, and you're angry with someone in your heart, it's like murder. Uh, when you lust for something in your heart, it's like adultery. He, he goes on to talk about retaliation, where if someone hits you, turn the other cheek. Uh, he goes on to talk about loving your enemies. He goes on to talk about judging others and actually not judging them. He goes on to talk about your money. He goes on to talk about your treasures on earth. He goes on to talk about your anxiety. He talks about a bunch of very tangible, practical things. Very practical. And as we think about the sufficiency of God and his word, do we actually connect God and his word to the tangible, daily, moment-by-moment -moment things of our lives? Because that is what the Sermon on the Mount is about. But when we hear Jesus say, hey, do these things, and you're good, we can think, okay, I just need to better myself. I need to do here a little bit better, try this, work hard at this. And that's how some people read, uh, that's how some people read the, the Sermon on the Mount. That's how some people read the Bible. It's just a betterment project. That is a worldly way to read the Bible. It's a worldly way to hear Jesus because that is what the world is offering. Saying, hey, work on your anxiety so you can be a better person. Work on your anger so you can be a better person. Don't be controlled by your money so you can be a better person. And what Jesus is calling us into is work on your anxiety, yeah. Bring it to me, yes, so that you can love me and love others more. It is not about you. 
but it's about loving him and others more. And that's actually where true change comes. That, that's where you become the person you actually want to be, where you're actually loving God and loving others. We read the Sermon on the Mount as a place of, I got to better myself. Some of you have been ta- taught that, and it just feels like a huge burden. Some of us have been taught that the Sermon on the Mount is something Jesus puts forward. He, he shows us this kingdom ethic that we could never, ever achieve. We could never live it out. And so we throw ourselves on his grace, which we should and do. And then we're like, okay, I'm good. I don't have to worry about the rest of his teaching. We receive his grace and mercy, say, oh, I can never obey this law. I can never fully do this. I'm not perfect. Jesus was perfect in my place. I don't have to worry about doing anything. And the reality is that is not an accurate way to read it either. Yes, the grace is true. Yes, his fulfillment of it is true. And yes, he calls you to follow him, to live the way he lived, to love the things he loved. And he doesn't leave you alone to do it. Because the gospel is, you are saved by grace. The things we've just proclaimed, that as we confess our sin, we're forgiven and we're pardoned and also credited righteousness. And now, through the power of the Spirit, we live into the reality of who we are, who we've been proclaimed to be. And God does that by his grace too. And so he calls us to follow him into places that we really don't want to. We, like loving your enemies? There's no one, no one outside of the church wall who's, who's saying, you really need to love your enemies. They're, they're saying you need to cancel your enemies. Push them away. Toxic people, get them away. And Jesus has a different message, and he says it's more beautiful. He says it's better for you. Uh, we could go into a number of different places in the Sermon on the Mount where the wisdom of Jesus trumps the wisdom of the world. But the reality is, is there's different ways to interpret the Sermon on the Mount, and we have to interpret it through the lens of, yes, Jesus is my righteousness, and he has perfectly fulfilled this, and also I am a follower of Jesus, and my sanctification is me becoming more like him, which means living in line with who he is. And so he calls us by his spirit to live in line with who he is. And guess what? We can't do that without the word. Uh, I, I remember there was this man in our church who had grown up in, um, I can't remember if it was a non-denominational or if it was a Southern Baptist or whatever it was, and not throwing anybody in the bus, um, but he grew up in a denomination where it was a very legalistic background, where it was, do this, and God will love you. And if you don't, he's going to condemn you. And so you better read your Bible. And you better read it every day. And you better like it. Um, and that is, that is the, the denomination. That's the background he grew up in. And, and then in his, in his late 20s, he stumbled into a Presbyterian church. He stumbled into a church like Grace. And he found the gospel of Grace. He found the goodness of Jesus. And you know what he did? He stopped reading his Bible. He found grace, and he stopped reading his Bible. And so flash forward 20 years later when I actually met this man. 
when he's in his 50s or late 40s, uh, our church does this discipleship program, and he decides to do it. And for the first time in 20 years, he reads his Bible on his own. And it's this seven, eight-week process where you read a lot of Scripture, and by the end of that, when we are debriefing through it, he's in tears, talking about how he's abandoned God's Word. And he's done it in the name of grace. That is not what grace draws us to. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's not opposed to learning. It's not opposed to growing. It's opposed to earning, to feeling like you have to earn God's love and favor. And the gospel is the opposite of that. That you are saved not by your works, not by your performance, not by anything about you other than God has pronounced his love upon you. And the reality of that is when we see that accurately, it fuels us. Fuels us to live into who God has declared us to be. And so he summons us into his word because we can't fully know Jesus apart from his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. There is a weird thing going on in this book where this isn't heresy. This is Jesus. Um, Jesus is a person, and he's the word. And the word became flesh. And if you want to know Jesus, you've got to know your Bible. You've got to read your Bible. Tim Keller, who recently passed away, he has this very short quote um, where he says this, Religious people find God useful. Christians find God beautiful. Religious people go to the Bible because it's useful. They can get things from God. They can feel like a better person. They can feel better about themselves. Christians, in turn, go to God and his word because more and more they see how beautiful and amazing God is. And only the gospel of grace, the love of Jesus, can allow you to see that. And so if the Bible is this betterment project, if it's this place that you find it useful to get you through life, you're going to miss Jesus and you're going to miss the gospel and it's just going to feel like a burden. But, Lord willing, through the power of the Spirit and the wonder of his word and the ways that he uses it, hopefully the Bible becomes more and more this place where I go to it because it's beautiful. And just so you know, you know the person who's figured that out the best? It's someone in the Bible. It's the psalmist. The psalmist loves God, and he loves his word, and he knows how to apply it. He knows how to bring, to bring it to bear on his life. He's heard God. He's heard the God of the Old Testament say, listen to me and follow me. And he doesn't just hear the message. He sees the messenger, and he loves the messenger, and he's intimately close to the messenger. And he's realized the whole thing, the whole Bible, is about the messenger, not just his message. That it flows out of the character and wonder of who the messenger is. Which leads to the second point of, what is our foundation? Uh, the rain fell, the flood came, the winds blew and beat on the house but it didn't fall because the house had been founded on the rock. And then there's the opposite. 
the one who's built their house on the sand, and the same storm comes, and there's a great crash. What are we building our lives upon? Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that a rock is stronger, it's, it's more sturdy, it's stable, and also, when you read the Psalms, God is spoken of as a rock all the time. He's spoken of as a stronghold. He's spoken of as a refuge. And so the Bible is putting before us, yes, God and his word is the rock, and also God is the rock. And you can go to God's word and not get God. You can't go to God without his word. And so we go through his word to God, and we go to the one who is the anchor of our souls. We go to the one who's the anchor of our souls. And so the rock, this foundation is an anchor for us. Um, and we bank and build our life upon it. And the thing is, those two houses, they look the same on the outside. There's nothing about the outside that we would notice to be any different, but is their foundation. Uh, I recently went camping and I'm not a camper. I'm not a great camper. My students love camping. Our, uh, Arkansas students love to camp. There's a lot of fun outdoor places near Fayetteville. But we recently went camping, and uh, we were camping on someone's property. And we'd set up all these tents, and some were in hammocks. And we'd brought all these supplies. We drove in. Uh, but anyways... I realized I'd forgotten a couple of key things. Not really key things. I'd forgotten some trash bags. And what did I do? I, w I went to the house that was right there. Went to this big house, that the property we were on, and I asked them for um, some trash bags. And I took them back to the campsite. And then a few minutes later, I realized we didn't have paper towels. So I went back to the house, knocked on the door, asked the owners of the house who we were good friends with, can we have some paper towels? And I went back to the campsite. And you know what I began to think as I was thinking about this sermon? What, what if I had gone back to the house and been like, hey, we, we actually don't have kitchen chairs out here. Uh, and we need a kitchen table. Can, can, can I grab that and take it to the tent? Uh, and then after enjoying the kitchen table for a little bit, I went back and said, hey, we actually we need, a, we need a couch. You know, a couch out here would be really good. And... I begin to take all these good things from the house and bring them into this tent that has no foundation. But that tent begins to feel sort of like home. It begins to feel sort of like the real thing. It begins to feel like the stronghold. But all I'm doing is stripping things from the place that's strong and firm and bringing them to a place that's not. And the thing is, Life can work that way until the storms come. I can enjoy the kitchen table until the tent is being beat by rain and hail and any other things. And then I'm going to want to be back in the house. But I think what we can often do with Jesus is the very same thing. We want his things. We want the good things we see he promises, the good things we see he gives to people, but we don't want to put all of our life into who he is. We want to stay over here in our own little foundation, our own little tent. And it works 
until life hits us in the face, until the chaos of storms actually come, and then it doesn't work. It can't work. Because the couch and the kitchen table were made to be in the stronghold. They work in the stronghold. They're, they're not going to keep the tent up stable and steady. And so the question for us this morning is, what are the things we try to take from Jesus that we think are good, and they are good, and bring them over to our, our little tent, our little place that's not steady, that's not stable? Uh, there's so many things that we try to build our life upon. And if we're thinking about the message, the voices we're listening to, the number one thing is our own feelings and desires. What is the truth telling your life? Truth telling your life? Too often it is our own feelings and desires. And the reality is they become the authority, the authority we listen to, and they are not a good authority. I'm not saying they're not ever true, but often they are confused and quickly run away from Jesus. But the thing is, what tends to happen is our feelings and the desires attach on to things of the world because it's so quickly drawn into the sin of our flesh. We're, we're driven away from Jesus to trust other things. We trust the wisdom of the world that tells us the most stable thing in your life is money in your bank account. You've got to get that. Do anything you can to get as much money as possible and you will have stability, and you'll have joy, and you'll have peace. Well, Jesus offers stability, joy, and peace. It just looks different. Uh, you need a good, perfect family. Go after the best family, the perfect family. Build it up. Make yourself look visible to the world as if you are perfect. Try to uphold that. Try to live that out, and it doesn't work. Uh, we go searching for peace in places that can't provide it. We go searching for comfort in places that can't provide it. And this is actually what ends up happening. In the midst of the chaos of life, the things that we turn to to be our stability, the things we've turned to to be our refuge are actually the things that just get thrown up into the, into the fan. <laughs> when, when you're trying uh, when you're asking your wife, your children, your job, your money to be your refuge, when things are hard, when things go wrong, when things are broken, and they always are, you have no refuge. And you're looking to the thing that is breaking to be your refuge, and it's never going to work because there's no foundation there. Jesus is a solid rock. Jesus is a refuge. Jesus is a very present help in time of trouble. And this is what I want to connect you back to the Psalms with. The psalmist knows that. And here's the thing. He hasn't just memorized the Bible verse. He hasn't just memorized, God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He is applying it to the hard, broken, anxious, fearful, angry moments of his life. Uh, in Psalm 61, the psalmist says, When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He knows God's a rock, and he's summoning his soul to, 
to go to the rock. And he's asking Jesus to help him get to the rock. And he's doing that when his heart is faint. So he's doing that when he feels weak. What do you turn to when you're weak? What truth do you go to when you're weak? Uh, We could put this into the psalm. When, When my heart is troubled, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In, in your moments, and I'm referencing back to the Sermon on the Mount, by the way, in your moments of anger, are you troubled? Is there chaos around? Yes. Do you go to God? Do you ask Him for help? And do you hear more than the God of the universe saying, hey, when you get angry, you hate people, you're murdering them in their heart? Because that is not actually who the full picture of who Jesus is. Jesus meets people in their anger with grace. He is still that God, even though he's calling us to not get angry. But you cannot change unless you go to the God who you know is not judging you, has not condemned you, can take the brunt of your anger and also bring and instill peace and patience to you through his spirit. But you only can learn and grow to do that if you actually turn to Jesus in your anger and not away. Uh, The same is true of our anxiety. What do you do when your heart is troubled, when your heart is faint? That sounds like crippling anxiety sometimes to me. Um, This is one of the things I I love this about Scripture. Um, God has been talking about anxiety and shame for the last six, eight, ten thousand years, depending on how long you think, you know, when Genesis, the Pentateuch was written. God's been talking about Fear and anxiety, crippling fear and anxiety, and shame, two huge things our culture struggles with right now for over 10,000 years. He knows what he's talking about, and he knows how to care for your soul, and he knows the relief you need is actually in Jesus. Um, There's relief that can come in other places, but the goodness of his grace to us in Jesus meets people in their shame and in their anxiety. And the psalmist knows it well. And one of the things you hear the psalmist talking about often is salvation, refuge, rock. And I bring up salvation because too often we think salvation is simply eternal life. This is going to get me to heaven. The word salvation means deliverance. And the psalmist uses it all the time. Lord, I'm in this thing. I'm in the mud. I'm in the dark. I'm troubled. I'm faint-hearted. Deliver me. Bring your salvation. We as the church should know God is good at salvation. But we have to begin to translate it to daily deliverance. Minute by minute by minute deliverance. And all the things that trouble our heart. The psalmist knows it well. And he knows his only refuge is the rock that is higher than I. That is better than me. May we be people who go to the rock, who's more than just a truth teller. He is a gentle, compassionate, loving Savior who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will always be with you. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for this word. Uh, We thank you that you, with conviction and grace, call us to hear and listen to your voice because you know it is the best voice. You know 
is what we need. May we be men and women who put our faith and trust in the truth of your word. And may we be men and women who don't just simply hear about it, think about it, memorize it, but people who apply it and live it out and it draw us deeper into relationship with you. You've given it that we might know you and might know you personally. You've given it that you might bring salvation and deliverance. And too often we think your truth and grace won't touch down into the very practical, tangible, moment-by-moment places of our lives. Lord, may you, yeah, eradicate that. Draw us to repentance of that. Show us the goodness of your grace in Jesus. And may we build our lives upon the stronghold of the rock of Jesus in his word. We, we pray all this in his name. Amen.